0: Here we are again, just about midnight, this is Rossi for Raging and Eating, and welcome once again to my, well, my edible brain, I would say, but that sounds kind of disgusting. Anyway, it's late and I'm feeling kind of groovy, it's been weird weather the last few days, torrential rainstorms out of nowhere. And then all of a sudden gorgeous sunshine and the sky is blue and beautiful and we're taking off our jacket and throwing away our umbrella and then all of a sudden the sky goes black and it's rain again. I mean it's been very wild schizo weather but the plants need the love and you know all that moisture everyone's happy. Um, Unfortunately I think the rats are happy too, I saw quite a few of them tonight. And I don't like rats, but I do love the smell of rain, and I I love what it does for nature. I just don't like walking around when it's pouring down on you. It's not very sexy. And this summer's been full of a lot of rain so far, so I'm going to think of it in a different way. Instead of thinking of it as, bummer, you know, our beach day has rained out, I'm thinking of it as a sign of fertility. Well, that rain means new life and replenishment and love. Sometimes when I cater weddings and it rains, I very quickly remind my brides and grooms that that is a sign of fertility, so you better get ready, baby. And actually, I think that there's a high ratio of my wedding clients that wind up having kids, so I think it might be something I put in the sauce. You know what I mean? Just a little love and sensuality in the sauce. And the next thing you know, my clients are having babies left and right. So if you want a baby, maybe you should have me cater your wedding. You know, I'm just saying. So lately, I guess because, you know, it's summer and even the rain and the weather and all this weird stuff. I mean, plans have been changing left and right. And rather than getting all cantankerous about it, I've been kind of in this mood to just blow where the universe wants to blow me. Well, that didn't sound right, but uh, you know what I mean. Anyway, I'm trying so hard to be a good little girl and not have a potty mouth and be accepted on mainstream radio as a good little Jewish girl with a, a lot of opinion. And it seems like the universe keeps trying to drag me into the gutter. But, anyway, like I said, I'm just going whichever way the universe wants to. Well, there we go again. Blow me. But, anyway, the other day, I was walking up Avenue B in the East Village in Manhattan, and I saw a gang of kids. They were like kids from the projects, kind of cool. There was one tall one who, I don't know if I would say that they were kids. He looked to be about 20, maybe Nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, 21, like that. His friends looked a little younger. They looked maybe 18, 19, 20. I'm not sure. But, you know, I call them kids. You might wanna call them young adults. Anyway, they were, one opened a bottle of champagne and poured it in the plastic cups and they were sharing it around. Everyone got their plastic cup and they did a toast and they were having some sort of celebration. And so normally, I would walk right past them because they're strangers and I don't know them and they don't know me and we're from different walks of life. I don't drink champagne in public, but why not? I do drink margaritas in public, so what's the difference? But on this particular day, I was feeling like the universe was blowing me around and I said to them, I walked over to them and they were like, Who's this crazy chick with the weird hair? They probably thought I was nuts but I said well congratulations to whatever you're toasting this to and the tall good looking kid he was like with long dreadlocks very handsome face he seemed to be the sort of ringleader of the group he said we're toasting to life to how good life is and they were all like yeah and I said wow I said that sounds so positive I mean most kids no offense young adults kids you know they're not so positive like that They're kind of negative They're like, eh, leave me alone I don't want to do anything I want to just stare at my phone all day So I started congratulating him On being so positive positive. And then he said Well, would you like to join us? Would you like a glass?" So normally I would say Well, no, no, thank you But it was wonderful meeting you And off I'd go But on this day I was like Well, the universe blew me over to them maybe I should have some bubbly so I said I'd love to and he was a little surprised actually he very quickly poured me a plastic cup of champagne and I went to join the toast and one of the kids asked me what my name was but just as he was asking me that as I made the toast I said L'chaim and he thought that was my name, so I went Lachayim, and everyone went, nice to meet you, Lachayim," And I started laughing. I said, no, no, Lachayim. It's, it's Hebrew, it means to life. Lachayim to life. My name's Rossi. But you know, that wouldn't be a bad name, actually. Anyway, so the tall guy with the dreads, he said, my name is Mosheah. And I said, Mosheah? That's a powerful name. Do you mean like Moses? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're like a total. That's a huge name. You're like a leader. You're a leader, baby. And he was like, well, you know, I try. And I said, and you're also someone who's got to have a good head on your shoulders and be sensible and not freak out. You know, I started praising him. I said, so we would say that's Moshiach. There's a lot of h happening. Jews are always going H- in everything we say, because I think it's because we're looking for an excuse to spit on people and not be in trouble. So if we go up to someone and spit on them, we're in trouble. We might get hit. We might go to jail. But if we say La L'chaim, Moshiah, you know, then we're just trying to talk in our language and we can't help it if we happen to spit in your face. You know what I mean? But anyway... Moshiach was a really cool dude, and he was very happy that I was impressed with his name, and we chatted for a while. And then I sort of pointed out that Moshiach is also capable of really kicking butt. I mean, think about what Moses did. You know, he parted the Red Sea, and then the big, mean, nasty Pharaoh decided to chase after all the Jews, and then Moses lifted his arms again, and the Red Sea. Came crashing down and drowned all the Egyptians and the big me and Pharaoh, and unfortunately, all those innocent horses, too. That part of that story always bothered me. I had no problem with Pharaoh drowning or any of the soldiers, really. You know, whatever, they signed up for that. But all those horses, that really always bothered me. I remember when I was a kid and we'd be like learning the story of Passover. And my mother wanted me to see how poignant it was that that God saved the Jews and Moses, you know, put his arms up and the Red Sea parted and then it came crashing down on them and blah, blah, blah. And all I could think about was those poor horses. It still bothers me. And when I saw Ten Commandments, the Charlton Heston, well, the first, you know, half dozen times I saw it again, I was like, those poor horses. And then later on, I was like, Charlton Heston is really a jerk, I mean, he's like a major NRA guy, and he wants to have a gun, he wants everyone else to have a gun, and he doesn't care about Columbine and school shootings, and he just wants to blow away the world, and, you know, then I started thinking all those kind of things, but um, it really is a great movie, so I try to not let it get ruined by my politics, but I digress, like always, what was I even talking about? Oh yeah, Moshiach. Anyway, so I thanked them all profusely and I took uh, my glass of champagne because I still had some left. And I walked to Stuy Town, which is kind of a gorgeous little area. And there's a bubbling fountain where the water shoots up and it's all lit up. And I sat there by the fountain and the day was getting late, I guess now it was getting to be about six o'clock. There's a nice breeze happening and the sun was still out, but in that gorgeous time of day, that's my favorite time of day in the summer, I'll say, between five and seven o'clock when the sun is still there and there are moments when you can really feel it warming your face, but it's not intense. It's not gonna burn you. It's not gonna give you a headache and there's a breeze starting and the evening is calling. It's just perfect. So I sat there in that perfect time of day looking at the gorgeous fountain and thinking about my new friend Moshiach and sipping my champagne. And it wasn't bad. I mean, it wasn't good either, but it was like a $10 bottle of champagne, but it was drinkable, kind of on the order of like Corbel, not bad. A little orange juice would have been nice. But I was really, what I was really impressed with was myself because the old Rossi simply wouldn't do that. You know, kids from different walks of life. You know, it's it's even adults, kids, anyone. It's it's a little bit of risky when you walk up to someone very different from you, from a different walk of life, with a different mindset and a different look and a different everything. And you want to sort of go and be chummy with them. They might be like, well, who the hell are you? You're weird looking and we don't like you. And they might say quite a few things I won't repeat here. But I don't know. The universe told me it was okay. And they were really a great group of kids. They really liked me. It made them laugh. You know, I love making people laugh. And I thought, well, then, and then I taught them two Jewish words. L'chaim to life and Moshiach. Moshiach didn't know the Jewish version of his name. Moses. And I got a feeling, you know, one day there's going to be like a Hasidic guy in the neighborhood or a guy walking by with a yarmulke. And he's going to walk by that gang of kids and they're going to go, Lahiam And he, that Hasidic guy is going to be like, What? Vast is this? What is going on? All these kids from the projects are saying L'chaim. And that'll be a good day. I kind of hope I'm there to see that day. But what I learned was that even though I'm like not a 20-something-year-old girl anymore, I'm you know old enough to be their mother, and even though we're... You know, walking from different ways of life. They're hanging out in the street drinking champagne. And I'm running back and forth trying to cater weddings. And, you know, we got like a lot going on that's different. And they wouldn't hang out with an old fart like me. And I probably wouldn't hang out with some young kids like them. But we sort of bridged the gap. And they liked me and I liked them. And I hope I see them again in the neighborhood. And I really felt captivated by Mashiach because his attitude was so great was so positive. I mean, it's very rare to have that even with a total, someone who's like 20 years older than He had a great positive attitude. And so I thought, you know what, what did I do? Then it wasn't just that I had a glass of champagne. It wasn't just that I was drinking in public, something I've gotten very good at since COVID blew in. It wasn't just that I approached a gang of kids that didn't know me and I didn't know them and took a chance on being friendly was that I was living in the now, living right there in that moment as it happened. And I don't do that often enough. I mean, do you? How often are you living in the now? But I really felt strongly that I was so present and so with those kids right in that moment. And then even everything seemed to slow down. I could taste that champagne like... I guess I was drinking it slowly and sipping it, but I really tasted it, and I really felt the breeze. I really looked at the kids' faces, and I really was just in the moment. And then I was also really in the moment, a little while later, sitting in front of that fountain with the beautiful early evening summer breeze, and I smelled the air, and there'd been enough rain that there was wetness in the air, and I could smell the grass and the trees, and it was glorious. I thought maybe that was my reward. Like the universe rewarded me. It blew me over to them. And then it rewarded me with champagne and a breeze and a friendly conversation and a pretty view and the smell of grass and trees and flowers. I could smell flowers too. So there you have it. So what's the moral of this story? You're like, what the hell is she talking about? She's bouncing all over the universe. This girl is kookadoo. The moral is to live in the now and to give people a chance. So let's say you are a stockbroker from Connecticut and you're rather uptight and you like to just play sports perhaps that are very country club kinds of things like golf or tennis or you know what is the other thing? Cricket? Oh you want to play some cricket darling. So let's say that's who you are and one day you walk down the street and you see a gang of kids and they're playing stickball in the street or they're they've opened a fire hydrant and they're dancing in the water well why don't you just get over yourself and go dance in that water with them or why don't you join them in that game of stickball because honestly does anyone really enjoy cricket and if you are playing a sport and wearing an ascot while you're doing it And I got a feeling you're not really playing a sport. You're just posing and showing off how rich you are. And that's really boring. So let it go. Chill out. Relax. Em baya. When I was in Israel, I heard that all the time. I mean, my mother was always trying to get me to go to Israel. And I never wanted to go. Because I was too busy surviving and trying to be a struggling artist in Brooklyn and Crown Heights. And I had edge. And I I didn't want to. Go to Israel, because really only because my parents wanted me to go. That was the main reason I didn't. So I should have gone, especially because they would have paid for it. And instead, I waited like 20 years and I had to pay for it. And that sucked. But I went to Israel and I thought I was going to be going to this holy land. I thought everyone was going to be so holy and they would be really kind and lovely and generous. Meanwhile, I get to Israel and everyone was so rude. They were so rude, it was funny. Like if they'd been less rude, I would have said they're rude, but they were so rude that I had to, I found myself laughing all the time. Like we're at the hotel and there was an orange juice thing. Like you would get all these ha- orange halves. You put the orange half in the machine and you would pull this arm down at the machine and out would come orange juice. And you put your glass there and get the orange juice and walk away. So there was a long line of people to get orange juice. And this guy goes over and he puts his half orange down, pulls it down, drinks the orange juice, and then does it again and again. He did it six times while everyone was waiting. He drank six glasses of orange juice. And I said to my friend, Drawer, I said, Drawer, which is a cool name, I know. It's like a dresser drawer, only with an R. I said, this guy is so rude. And he was like, what? The glasses are small. And I'm like, What is going on here? And he said his embaya. Not, and that means not a problem. I heard it all the time everywhere I went. There was like all these times I was online at a deli and this woman came and she basically shoved me back with her butt and took my place in line. And I'm like, drawer, this woman just took my place in line. He's like, embaya. So finally I was like, why is everyone saying that? Not a problem, not a problem. It is a problem. The guy drank six glasses of orange juice before anyone else got a glass. The woman shoved me aside with her big butt and took my place in line. That is a problem. So that's not an not a problem. And he said, Rossi, the whole world is trying to kill us. We've been surrounded so many times with people trying to kill us. And even people inside the country with suicide bombs, every time you go out, you don't know if it's gonna be your last day. You turn 17 years old, you're still a child, and you have to go in the army, and you don't know if it's going to be your last day. And so if it's just that someone cut your place in line or just that some guy wants to drink six glasses of orange juice, then ya, not a problem. So I'm like, all right, well, I can see your point then. If the whole world's trying to kill you, maybe you don't care so much about it. But me, it's a problem for me because the whole world is not trying to kill me, not that I'm aware of. And so therefore, this guy is rude. And so I guess the lesson didn't really work on me, but I got his point. But after that, what I did, I went for the best defense is a good offense. So every, I went into a deli to get something, and a woman again, another woman. The women got the most chutzpah. There's another excuse to spit in someone's face, chutzpah. And she went and cut my place in line. And what did I do? I stepped up and I said, I was here first. Get out of here. I yelled at her. I don't know where that came from. And she said, Embayah. Not a problem. Because since I had chutzpah, I had more chutzpah. I was louder than her. She stepped away. Embayah, not a problem. So I'm like, all right. Well, in that case, I can kind of start to get into this Embayah thing. And I kind of started saying it in my regular life. Like I'm walking down the street and a car comes by and it drives through a puddle and it splashes me. Of course, I felt like I wanted to get a high powered rifle and shoot the lights out of the car and pull the guy out by his hair and drag him down the street and kick him in the face. But I didn't do any of those things because I'm a woman of peace and love and tranquility. Uh-huh. So I said, am not a problem. And off he went, and off I went, even though I had some muddy, watery stains on my khaki shorts because of that. But, M by yeah, not a problem. So, I'm not saying that I'm perfect. I did have that fantasy, what I wanted to do. But this is the reason why it's a good thing that I don't have a gun, and it's a good thing that most people don't have a gun. And maybe you're a gun lover, but trust me, there's a lot of people that really shouldn't have a gun. And I am one of them. The other one I would probably shoot all the time would be like when I'm going across the street and the light turns red is in Manhattan. This is a crazy thing. You start to walk and all of a sudden comes a bike, ma- a bike delivery guy delivering seamless or you know one of the other, the other things, going a million miles an hour on a motorized bike, zooming right through the red light. I have almost been killed by these bikes so many times. And it takes every ounce of strength I have not to, like, push them off their bike and kick them in the face. And probably I would, like, sit on their head and fart on them, to tell you the truth. So, yes, I do have some violence in me. I admit it. But I don't act on it. It's not a crime. Thinking is not a crime. So I say, and by ya, not a problem. You know, one day he'll meet his maker and... God or whatever you believe in will say were you a good person or a bad person and he'll have to say I drove through every red light and I almost killed a million people and I hit 20 or 30 people and God will be like well you know what you're gonna have to spend a little time in limbo for that and while you're at it deliver me I think I'll have the early bird special send it up that'll probably be his penance he'll have to spend limbo delivering food to everyone in heaven what do you think of that one we just thought of that but anyway, embaya, embaya not a problem. So I was happy I drank with those kids in public. I'm happy I'm trying to embrace the now. And I am not trying to hide the fact that I do occasionally have violent thoughts about really horrifying moments with people and delivery men who try to run you over. But I overcome it by being honest about it, by saying embya. By living in the now, and by putting lots and lots and lots of love into my food, that's really how I'm getting my yayas. So, and by inventing new things all the time. So this is an interesting one. I went to my girlfriend's brother-in-law and sister's house in Goshen, New York. Goshen is a very cool town. It's a historical town. It's beautiful, and. They live in a farmhouse, really in the middle of farmland. They're surrounded by cows. They've got a fence up, but if they didn't have a fence up, I'm sure all those cows would be sitting in their lawn. And they've got, they've really made it beautiful. They have a swimming pool, and they have a hot tub, and they even have a go-kart to run around with on their land. They have a fire pit. I mean, it's really, it's a very hedonistic, fabulous farmhouse. And they're wonderful hosts. So I got to go and swim in the pool and soak in the hot tub and everything was great. And Steve, that's my girlfriend, Lydia's brother-in-law, he introduced me to a new concept, which was everything I like in life all at once. And that was a pickle pizza. Mm -hmm. You heard me right. So it was an all white pizza with no red sauce. With um, slices of pickle It sort of looked like green pepperoni To tell you the truth And he knew I was gluten free So he made me a special gluten free one With cauliflower crust And it was delicious So my mind started spinning Immediately of all the things I wanted to do With that concept So I can't say I invented it Because Steve introduced me to the pickle pizza So I told him I would give him credit When I started serving it It's going to be Uh, Steve Pompicello's pickled pizza. Anyway, so here's my idea now, because I've got two weddings this week and a fabulous tasting party, and I'm going to introduce my pickled pizza on the tasting party. And I've got this great pizza dough, and what I'm going to do is brush it with with olive oil. I have some garlic, and what I did is I took the garlic cloves and covered it in olive oil, brought it to a simmer, just let it simmer for like an hour, know I've got this really roasted gorgeous chunks of garlic in this oil and what I'm going to do is I'm going to puree that I'm going to brush the pizza in my roasted caramelized garlic and oil virgin olive oil beautiful I'm going to brush the pizza in that And I'll flick it with some fresh thyme, some fresh chopped thyme, because I love thyme. Basil is so, everyone knows about basil and pizza. It's getting boring. But thyme is like nice and gives it an interesting depth. I like it. It's sort of woodsy. Woodsy, that's what I would say. I'm going to sprinkle fresh thyme. And then I'm going to put some fresh ricotta on my pizza. And then on top of the ricotta... I'm gonna put grated mozzarella, so the mozzarella is gonna act like the glue of the whole thing. And then what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna slice up dill pickles, a nice sour dill pickle, not a half sour, although I love half sour, definitely not sweet. Just a nice sour dill pickle, I'm gonna slice it up and I'm gonna sprinkle it all over the pizza, stick it in the oven, Get it nice and melted and fabulous. And then we're going to cut it into little pieces and we're going to have perfect little hors d'oeuvres and we're going to make sure, then I would say a two bite hors d'oeuvre, not a one bite. We're going to make sure each bite has a slice of pickle on it. So I've worked the whole thing out. I'm going to be introducing it to the world this Sunday. I'll take lots of pictures and I'll put them up on Instagram. So I am Chef Rossi NYC, C H E F R O S S -S I NYC, on Instagram. So keep watching because you'll see my pickle pizza hors d'oeuvres on Instagram. I'll probably put them up on Sunday or Monday. And also you can find me on Facebook. My Facebook page is also Chef Rossi NYC. C-H-E-F-R-O-S-S-I-N-Y-C. So this is Rossi for Raging and Eating once again. And I've got a lot of ideas for what to call this show. I was thinking about just calling it Pickle Pizza or maybe living in the now with Pickle Pizza, but I'm going to think about it. I'm going to let it percolate in my wild little brain or my wild big brain. So remember, as always, food is love and so are you. Now go out and do something spontaneous.